Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. I'm Dave Cohen. And we are thrilled to be joined by a wonderful guest. Would you please welcome Stephen Moffat. Hello, Stephen. Hello. 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 Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. And um, we have so many questions for you, I feel slightly overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, because you are the writer of numerous sitcoms before... You know, the, three even. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, three's pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay, good. A lot of people yeah. are one and finished. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, or one forever, you know. Yeah. But uh, Which is impressive. Yes, yeah. indeed. And one of the um, things that struck us so, so the, the three sitcoms in particular that we like talking about, but obviously we'll come on to a bit of Doctor Who and Sherlock and, and other things too. And of course, Press Gang as well, which mm. was a sort of a sitcom <laughs> in, its own, yeah. in its own way, um, is the fact that we sometimes, we're slightly torn between write what you know. Mm. And write what you don't know, and write or write what you like. Mm. And actually, just looking through the the sitcoms that you did in Joking Your Part and Chalk and Coupling, reading a little bit about them, you mm. just think these are quite autobiographical <laughs> in some way. Um, do you feel that you sort of were writing what you knew? That was a that was a conscious decision, or it was just I've got to write something. It might as well be this. I've got to write something. It might as well be this. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, write what you know is sanctifying laziness, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's that's fine. You don't have to write what you know. Obviously, mm. if people only wrote what they knew, we'd have to conclude that Shakespeare was a Danish prince at some time. That's absolute nonsense, isn't it? No, you're writing. You're making stuff up. Yeah. That's that's fundamentally the job. You are making stuff up that's not true mm-hmm. now some of it may contain some eternal truth certainly not anything i've ever written but the uh, but but fundamentally it's not true and its job is to entertain people so it's yeah. all right that it's not. what if stephen king stuck to what he knew yes yeah. what was agatha christie's attitude on checking into a hotel did she assume there would be a murder <laughs> yes uh, of a complicated nature no you don't you yes. don't right i mean that's just what's in front of you yeah that's mm. yeah. why it means why you mostly set things in the present day yeah. I mean, right. because that's where you live. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, and we were talking a little bit to Jack Doherty about this, the idea of uh, that obviously you are your best raw material mm. and that, no no one else has lived your life and so mm. that that from that point of view it's great but then uh it's it's the kind of giving yourself permission to lie mm. and i think obviously that's where uh, yeah the, well it does yeah. i mean but you know the the thing is in that sense you have no alternative but write what you know mm. even mm. when you're lying because those are your lies yeah, you know that. You know those are the particular lies you chose. So you're you're just writing from inside your own skull. That's that's not something you have to make an effort at, is it? Yeah. I mean, Although, is it is there a danger when? Because I found this when I realised that a part that I was trying to write. Um, in a radio sitcom I did was basically me that I was sort of going too easy on him because mm. he was the reasonable person at the centre of this mad world and I'm wondering for example in, in Joking Apart mm. a comedy about a stand-up comedian right. mm. um, a, com- a comedy writer isn't it? Comedy, yeah. Yeah. yeah whether actually it was quite hard you sort of were too simple and also Robert Bathurst is just lovely isn't he mm. he's such a mm. lovely man mm. that whether you're sort of trying to make his life a bit too easy and not making him enough of a monster did you find well that? i think he was a bit of a monster in that show especially in the early episodes right he, he's uh uh you know i i certainly side my against myself in my divorce uh, <laughs> which was it was the comedy account of on the other hand i later realized that was the ultimate in narcissism isn't it it really right. is it was assuming that everything that went wrong with my marriage was about me <laughs> right i was left she didn't just find somebody she preferred yeah. I couldn't bear that narrative it had to be a fault that I possessed right. and that could feature heavily at the centre point of a sitcom yeah. so I don't think necessarily go, you go easy on your comedy surrogate but on the other hand we do all seem to end up creating the same hap 
hopeless, lovable, always makes a silly mistake character mm. that is the stand-in for every single person who ever picks up a pen ever, yeah. Yeah. whether it's a newspaper columnist, I mean, or a or a sitcom writer. We're all that guy. Yeah. It's all an identical character. Right. That's, that's yeah, sort of true in Britain, I think. Mm. The lo- lovable loser kind of character, yeah. I suppose. But um, and. and Obviously, things have changed now, but it's kind of going through the 80s and 90s uh, as we were carrying on creating our lovable mm. loser characters. But in America, you still had you had the kind of they, they're not losers in America. I mean, there is that slight difference. They are successful people like Frazier or whatever. They are actually that that that's that's not that sort of I don't know that kind of British sense of disappointment isn't that hangs over mm. a lot of our comedy maybe yeah. that that that's that's the kind of one thing as we imitate the other comedies we grew up with which yeah. is really our sense of loserness but yeah. even Frasier is kind of hapless yeah. he yeah. makes silly mistakes he's well-meaning but oh look what happened yeah. mm. I mean it's quite rare to have something and uh, bracing and marvelous to have someone like Basil Fawlty who's just a completely unreasonable person with whom you sympathize yeah. far more yeah uh, than all those hapless losers that we always portray ourselves as yeah. yeah yeah i think and that's another thing as well i know i know when i'm uh, i found when i'm trying to write something uh, invariably i am the the main character yeah um and um you know unfortunately uh mm. so I, I i i and i find this when we're reading uh scripts from other people as well is that it's not necessarily that you kind of you're going soft on yourself but it's just like oh this mm. person in relation to me is that easy comedy mm. archetype that i can have a lot of fun with and that number two person and so you end up with a kind of a uh, group of people around you who are sort of funnier and mm. you all, almost you know and obviously in a show like seinfeld that's kind of pretty mm. fantastic so you've got uh you've got it beautifully clear there but sometimes I, th- I think it's more that kind of you almost know yourself too well and then you put the funny bits into the other people do you, yeah that do you have a lot that? yeah i mean yes i think other characters sometimes have an easier time being funnier the ones that aren't you i suppose um but then that's because you're that's because you're simple. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what that psychology is, and yeah. I and because I haven't done it in a very very long while, uh, I have always wondered why we're all basically James Herriot. Uh, <laughs> we are. I mean, yeah. with James Herriot yeah. books, that's every comedy lead in everything. Well-meaning, basically decent yeah. sort of chap who makes silly mistakes, and no one really understands, but is occasionally very wise towards the end of half an hour. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, that's not at all what I'm like in real life. So I don't know why I choose to portray myself <laughs> that way. No, but yeah, there is a sort of comforting kind of narrative to that sort of character, mm. isn't there? I, but the is it maybe partly, uh, we say it's that, is it also just trying to make some sort of every person, mm. some sort of person who sits at the centre of it all and is your guide on this journey through yeah. this comedy yeah. nonsense, just, yeah. as, just as Sherlock Holmes as Dr Watson, because Sherlock Holmes would be an intolerable main character because yeah. he's not really the main character he's really Dr Watson mm-hmm. um, you know just as Doctor Who has to have a companion who really takes the lead role yeah. because right. Doctor Who is an intolerable lead character you have no idea what Doctor yeah. Who thinks or feels or imagines you have to experience it through somebody who's sort of calibrated to be a reasonable representative yeah. of the human race that most people could sympathise with I guess it goes back to again the Jack Doherty conversation about um he quoted somebody else who said, is it Marty Feldman or someone saying that yeah. every comedy is either 
a normal person in a mad world mm. or a mad person in a normal world or something. And then he used that to say he did a show called Mr. Don and Mr. George, which were mad people in a mad world, which is why it didn't work. <laughs> 30 years later, he now realises, ah, oh, that's what we did wrong. I think um, that's very true. There's another one I read, I forget where, was it in Conversations with My Agent, Rob Long's book, mm. which is uh, is either... Uh, you're either Bugs Bunny Bugs or Mickey, Mickey Mouse. Mouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's and, right. and we all want to write Bugs Bunny, yeah. but we all quite often write Mickey Mouse. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and the network wants Mickey Mouse, but you want Bugs Bunny. Absolutely. Bugs Bunny's a monster yeah. and yeah. Mickey Mouse is nice. Yeah. But both work. Both yeah. work. There's another two types of writer thing as well. We, we talked to John Finham about this. Um, and it comes up a lot. The kind of writer you are. Are you the sort of writer that enjoys writing? Or are you the kind of writer who enjoys having written? I think... You know, everyone's at a different place on that scale. But do you actually like the writing of pages, or do you hate writing pages? But I, you I, love I, I like the last few. I, I like the last few days of a script. I think. Okay. Uh, but I mean, I mostly hate it. Uh, okay. I, you know, writing is really, really hard work. I mean, depends what you mean by hate. If I if it was taken away from me, I'd be yeah. miserable. Um, you know, it's it's not our job to be happy. Right. Uh, so we can't judge things as yeah. uh, as whether or not they make you happy. Yeah. You know, uh, I think we always get that wrong. We always think it's the weekend that makes you happy because you're happy at the weekend. It's not. It's the five days of work you put in that yeah. makes you happy at the weekend. Uh, so, no, writing mostly does not make me happy. It makes me frustrated, and uh, and I'm always always stuck, and I always find it inhumanly difficult, and I never ever think I'm ever ever going to finish. I always think I can't finish this one. But I also, at some distant, uh, non-visceral way, realise that's that's what it's like. That's mm. the process. Yeah. Isn't it? You're not supposed to go into a room and flutter your fingers over the keyboard and a script emerges. That's not what it's like. If it was like that, you wouldn't even need writers. You could just turn the computer on and leave it warm. Yeah. You know, it's not. <laughs> yes, well, when yeah. the producers say, well, that one writes itself. Yeah. It's just like, well, it's, it's, try it's, it's I weird. wish. It's weird there's no algorithm so far. <laughs> um, My son assures me that uh, AI will get to that. Says. Yeah. yeah. No. No, no, he's very convincing on the subject. Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe. Yeah. But uh, we'll be entertained by robots. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I already um, am. <laughs> I, mean, I think robots are great. Yeah. Well, robots dominate well, think, your life at the moment. Yeah. Really, yes, I, guess, yeah. another, I think yeah. it's interesting to know, though, I think because, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show are starting out wanting to be writers. And I think one of the secrets that you have to tell them is there isn't a secret. And it's hard when you start. And it's hard as you get going and it's hard when you get mm. older and it doesn't get any less hard. And every week it's like, how the hell am I going to write this one now? Or mm. it's yes. an actual fact you and all, the only thing that gets easier is you just know how much more work it's going to be. Did you hear? Do you remember John Cleese's uh, thing about that? He said around the time of Faulty Towers, when obviously he owned all comedy, <laughs> uh, he said, um, it's quite a modest thing, uh, but a very clever thing. He said, I think my advantage is I know how hard it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I think because writing doesn't, because writing seems like a sort of mystical thing, people think of it as a mystical thing. Mm. People talk about inspiration and vision and all sorts of words that mean mm. absolutely nothing. <laughs> they even use words like talent. Again, a word that yeah. means absolutely nothing. You could take a human being apart atom by atom and not find talent it doesn't yeah. exist yeah. Uh, it's simply work right. yeah. it is simply work uh, and if you work incredibly I mean it is I think you know the, the good and the bad news is it is infinitely more achievable 
than people think it is. Mm. It is mm. it, it is a, utterly achievable for anyone who's got a reasonable a reasonable an average brain mm. uh, and uh, and the opportunity. But it is far more arduous and far more about the taking of pains mm. and the and the rewriting and the and the suffering. It is far more arduous than you think. Yeah. There is going to be no moment, yeah. no moment where your vision leads you through. The muse will never visit, or rather, that moment of inspiration that you talk about in the interviews mm. uh, because you want an anecdote and because they <laughs> cut everything before uh, this mm. part yeah. of the interview. Yeah. That part of the, uh, you know, that inspiration was when you'd discarded every other option yeah, for this yeah. scene over a period of three weeks where you've been frozen <laughs> over two lines of dialogue and yeah, yeah. then suddenly you have an inspiration. That sounds great. You get yeah. inspiration. You wait for three. You don't wait for three weeks. Yeah. You tried every other option yeah. and mm. eventually you opened the right door and thought, it's that one well it's the awesome that is the yeah. Sherlock Holmes option isn't it yeah. is you, you exclude everything that it can't be yeah. whatever you're left with however impossible is the yeah. is the solution it sounds like a lovely thing that Sherlock Holmes says but there's an awful yeah. lot of things it could be yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yes that's right yeah. 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 yeah yes lest we romanticise writing we, yeah. there we, is nothing uh, romantic about it it no. is like it is like a it's like a job it's a very yeah. very very good job yeah. but it's a very very difficult one anyone looking from the outside would know that because not yeah. that many people do it and yeah. not that many people do it successfully. Yeah. And it doesn't look like work. No, it certainly doesn't. It just no. looks like... Cause, and the script that comes out at the end is, well, it's just a Word document. Yeah, you can yeah. just do and and uh, it doesn't look like work to me. And I've been doing it for a quarter <laughs> of a century. Uh, or more than like 30 years, I think. Yeah, uh, so it's I, I have great difficulty in persuading myself that when I've spent a day and all I've done is cut 10 pages... Um, Sue comes home and says, "How do you go?" I say, ten pages less than you were, than when you left this morning." <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very oh. hard for me to persuade myself that I've mm. been working. And I have been. Or Sue, hard. for that matter. I guess. Yes, I'm, Sue is yeah. very impatient yeah. and uh, and anguished when I uh, say things like that. Especially, she's very often the producer. Um, <laughs> but that is the work. That mm. is the work. Those miserable yeah. days where you where you're stuck. People ask about writer's block. There isn't anything yeah. else. That's I, what it I'm, is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find that. Um, that that moment that I'm looking out into the middle distance and mm. I'm asked a question and I say I'm working. Yeah. No, you're not. You're just staring into space. Yeah. Well, oh. that's what it feels like yeah. to you too, yeah. doesn't it? I, yeah. This doesn't feel like work. <laughs> no. It's just a man contemplating yeah. the vacuum mm. at the heart of his own brain. <laughs> I just just pick up on that thing. I I, I I probably had thought, but hadn't really thought in that sense that you mentioned Sherlock and Doctor Who mm. kind of in the same breath as you mentioned your uh, you know, the, 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 the sitcom characters mm. and that's something that and you, you talk about with your writing partner how about it's not so much how they see themselves but how the people around them yes, see, see, see yeah. them which mm. is something that you, you, you mm. kind of mentioned there and I hadn't really thought of that mm. it's, it's obvious now in terms of Sherlock and, mm. and Doctor Who but um, in in, in terms of the sitcoms then that you do i suppose you a lot of what you're saying about your main characters mm. comes through i was just sort of the person came to mind was the jeff character in yeah. uh, uh coupling was uh that is, is a kind of you know who's always has these sort of crazy ideas yeah. really um and and are you are you sort of conscious of feeding the stories through to the main character from the other characters well very much so and uh, but one should not underestimate uh the still point at the center of a comedy because uh, uh another thing about a joke is it's so often the case especially in comedy as drama which is what a sitcom is is it's sometimes it's not the line 
mm. sometimes it's who you say it to. Yeah. The laugh, if you watch on the uh, on the grammar of television, the laugh comes not when the person says the line, but when you cut to the person, when you cut to Jack Davenport or whoever, yeah, the reaction, just going, yeah. what? Yeah, 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 <laughs> That's, you think, that, or, you know, the, the absolute master of it is Martin Freeman. Yeah. Uh, he's an absolute genius at it. Yeah. So Benedict can go on for, you know, as he will point out, three or four pages of continuous monologue yeah. that is very hard to remember and very hard to say. And because it's meant to be uh, the words of a genius, counterintuitive to learn, you've got to get to the end of this huge monologue and Martin will have one word or not not even a word he'll just yeah. do a look yeah. and that's the whole laugh right there that's yeah, his yeah, scene yeah. that's yeah. his moment it's the longest setup in history isn't <laughs> yeah. it and yeah. it's yeah it's, it's got to be quite a generous actor to be able to yeah, yeah. give those away <laughs> yeah. but he, but the reaction is the joke isn't it yeah of course it yeah. is yeah. but then yeah. it, but then it flips the other way as well you know when you know when watson is being eminently human and reasonable mm. um that then the sort of uh you know, the sociopath yes. response to those things are, you know, when he's sort of talking about how to talk to someone like they're a human being and there's just yeah. nothing. He's, he's, he's an absolute <laughs> blank, yeah. yeah. But as, as I'm sure Benedict yeah. pointed out at this point, he did have the four pages to learn for that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he yes. had all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, but that's what actors do, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 The yeah. bit we don't think about is yeah. the, really yeah. is the yeah. bit we don't he think about. got it the night before. Yeah. <laughs> as, as if so. they would have learnt it in advance of that. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's like, uh, uh, you know, I think it's what wears out Doctor Who's. I yeah. think that's why they last about three years, yeah. is the amount of line learning that yeah. Doctor Who... Okay. And I never yeah. think about I never thought what Matt Smith had to do. Yeah. Until the very, very end, I had lunch with him just, just on his second last day of, uh, of Doctor... No, we had a drink. Yeah. And he was talking about his week, and he was saying, the thing is, you've you got to learn it on the Sunday. You've got to learn it all on the Sunday, because it's the only time you can learn it, and then you learn it again the night before. Because I've been asking, why do you never come out? Why do you never normally come out for a drink? And he said, because I'm working. <laughs> I'm working every night, learning yeah. not just a small amount yeah. of material, but a whole load of you know yeah. absolute gobbledygook yeah. that you've written. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't come out. And then the energy you need to, to do it in terms of it's very much it's it's stuff here, and then it's like right, we've all got to go over there and do the next yeah. thing. And yeah. the energy you need to you know is yeah. Is, well, it was, well, it was yeah. interesting talking to him, and it was uh, it was instructive. He said, you, it's not enough to know it; you've got to know you know it. Yeah. So it's no part of your brain is worrying about whether you know your dialogue. Mm -hmm. Not one tiny piece. Yeah. It has, you have to be able to be nudged and just say it. Mm -hmm. And you ha he said you have to have four ideas about it, one of which you'll use. We have four ideas. So that's what you do the night before, or the, the Sunday before and the night before. He puts so much, so much work into it. We don't ever think about it. No, we don't no. ever think that's... Uh, we don't want to have begrudging respect for actors. I think that's what we <laughs> <laughs> Hello, James here, butting into the interview. Hope you're enjoying it. We're so grateful to Stephen for not only taking the time to talk to us, but allowing us into his home. It was very kind of him. And we want to give you every last drop of this interview. So we're splitting it into two, and you can hear part two next week as we're going to go weekly for a bit. Uh, you can also hear part two um, uh, of this interview, but loads of other interviews if you join us on Patreon. So we've got one with Al Murray and one with Julie Bauer, who created CBBC hit show So Awkward. We talk to artist and seriously funny tweeter Moose Alain, Gail Renard from the Writers Guild, and we're always putting up loads of new stuff that gives you different ways into the world of writing comedy and sitcom in particular. And we're also going to be launching a new Patreon-only series called Sitcom Soup to Nuts, where Dave and I create a sitcom, a new sitcom over multiple podcasts from beginning to end, taking you through all the steps from thinking of that initial idea to characters, storylining, scripting, rewriting, and finally recording. That would be fun, wouldn't it? 
We also offer Patreon-only first 10 pages podcasts where we read the first 10 pages of your script and then do a podcast that only subscribers can hear. Enough, you say. You want to hear more Moffat and not me. Fair enough. So do I. Here we go. But it's me first and then Moffat. Sorry about that. Obviously, you work with a ton of really brilliant actors. I mean, what? How has that affected the way that you write? You know, compared to the young Stephen Moffat. I think there's a that, 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 when you're young and arrogant, and thank God you're arrogant because the only thing that gets you through, yeah. um, <laughs> you would just give up if you weren't arrogant. Yes. Uh, is that you think it's all about you? Mm. You really do about your script or whatever. Mm. Uh, you start to realise as you get older that uh, the difference between a writer however fast they have to write, and the director and the cast, mm. is that they do their work real time. Mm. They've got to do it that day, between yeah. this hour and that hour. Yeah. And if they don't get it right, that's it forever. Yeah, it's that's gone. it forever. That's yeah. why they're stressed. Yeah. That's why if you wander on, I didn't really think, that's why they want to kill you. Mm. That's why they want to kick you off the set. Yeah. So, you know, the big tip is, uh, which I'm always giving to young writers now that I'm an old man, is... Be useful on that set. Be yeah. helpful. Yeah. Because then they'll want you. Then they will instantly... Writers only get kicked off sets of the pains in the arse. If they come along and be useful to the director mm. and helpful to the actors, they'll, you'll never be able to leave the set because they'll mm. love you. Because they're stressed. And because they're doing their work in real time, you have to remember that when you're typing. The stage directions have to make sense. They absolutely yes. have to make sense in yeah. every detail. It has to be possible for this room to have one door, yet two people exit at different times, and all that, all that boring yeah. stuff. You, uh, you really have to provide them with a document that actually works under fire in the trenches when yeah. you make this thing. Writers don't quite. I mean, we work, we work in a different kind of a way, which has its own particular hell at four in the morning. Mm. But uh, you know, uh, writers and uh, directors and producers mm. and actors—they're not your enemy. They're not trampling over your vision. They're trying to get their work done in a ridiculously small amount of time in mm. the knowledge that if they don't, they can't rewrite it tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Oh, that was the big thing. And I wonder if, in, on you know, writers in so many ways, we are our own worst enemies, I mm. think, in terms of we sort of, we, we do make things ad more adversarial. But I think trying to remember that we're all, we all want to make a good show, yes. I think is, is, is paramount. And I think in other interviews, it's come up that trust is really important. And I think maybe, therefore... One thing that I think some people do find difficult is when you're still at the script stage and the show doesn't exist yet. Yes. And there's sort of a, oh, there aren't enough jokes here. Mm. And you just think, I know that I could, I could sprinkle some one-liners that will feel zingy, mm. but actually I know that this will get a laugh because it's a reaction. I know that yeah. that will get a laugh. Particularly another example of that, uh, it's only recently I sort of realised this, if you go back to One Foot in the Grave, which is one of, uh, to me, one of the mm. great sitcoms of all Absolutely. time, yes. there are so few jokes in it. Mm. There, yeah. uh, there was, there were, I can't really think of any one-liners other than catchphrases and when he picks up the dog and says 1491 yeah. <laughs> it's uh, interesting because David Rennick in a sense you're similar I suppose in mm. the sense that you, you, you have uh, <laughs> that, that the, the stories are you know kind of Paramount, really. Yes. And I actually, I was reading up some, uh, doing a bit, bit of research, but I did read something where you talked about, I think it was coupling where um, you said sometimes the jokes, if the joke got in the way of, 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 of t towards the towards the bigger punchline, which would come, yeah. you know, mm. 
10 minutes in or what to, to like, like the, the, if, if, if something got in the way of that then you, you got rid of oh, the God, joke yes. well it's that I mean uh, we all have that nervy impulse you mm. were talking about a moment ago to sprinkle more jokes in if yeah. it's a comedy yeah. it's the besetting sin of comedy is you're very aware how, how long am I allowed to go without a funny yeah. and if you have a reasonable facility to be funny mm which probably anyone who's writing a comedy script does, unless they're really bad at it, which is rare, then you can add more jokes in. But sometimes you're preempt. You're, you're making the audience laugh too early. You want them to yeah. take it more seriously. In some ways, writing comedy as part of drama is very useful because you never feel that obligation. You think, I'll, I'll be funny if it comes up, but not yeah. if it doesn't. Yeah. You're clearing a space for the jokes, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. But, you know, David Rennick is fearless, uh, and he's also a genius, which probably helps him be fearless. Uh, about making you wait. Mm, There's going to yeah. be a conversation. It might be mildly amusing enough that yeah. you know that it's a comedy and yeah. that you're half smiling, just keeping a slight half smile on your face, but he's going to deliver an absolute gobsmacking laugh that you'll yeah. remember 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Yeah. Warboys has been on the roof of the car the whole time. <laughs> yes. Kind of, yeah. kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also sometimes, you know, if you if you trust yourself, you can... I can't remember who else I heard talk about this recently, but... An article is put down on a table with a joke to think, oh, the reason that they've done that is to do that joke. I can now forget about that, yeah. um, about that little tin of something. And then in 15 minutes time, it's smacked. Oh, my goodness, the tin is there yeah. and it's got the thing in it. And I just thought it was there for a joke and it's not. And it's brilliant. And uh, I talked about that at that writer's thing. There I you go. It, yes, it the TV Lysis Festival. It is, is if you, and this, this works, that works well in comedy. I'm quoting if, you to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. That's I'm so right. sorry. No, I'm so sorry. Sorry. no I, I love being quoted yeah. to me. That made me think that maybe somebody else thought that it might be correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that uh, it works well in comedy that if you deliver a punchline mm. on something that you... It doesn't hang at the back of your mind as an unresolved issue. What's that going to be about? That's mm. really... And then you get another smashing joke out of it. My God, it works in drama. Mm. Because people people who have never written comedy don't don't know that trick in drama, mm. where you pass off something as a, you know, as a self-supporting uh, uh, plot entity, a little moment early on, you think, oh, I know why that's there. It made me laugh. Hooray. And then an hour later, you bring it back and you think, why didn't I spot that? And the answer is because you thought you knew why it was there, and that's not why it was there. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. I, I recently put a sellotaped a joke to a script I was editing where I was so excited that I was able to cat all of the jokes. I just sort of said, guys, there was a joke here all along, and I, don't, I can't believe I'm the only person to have spotted this. Yeah. It's this. And they all went, ah! It's mm. like, it was there all along. How, could, how do we not see it? <laughs> Hiding in plain sight. Let's just talk briefly, though, um, about uh, the mechanics of the comedy in particular, by which I mean, um, as I mentioned an email to you when we were setting this up, there was a bit of coupling that literally made me jump out of my seat um, with a shriek and a laugh of joy and, and ecstasy, um, which, which, only ever, which also only <laughs> happened, which also happened once in an episode of Friends where they end up talking about the backpacking story. Um, where, yeah. But in, in your episode, it was where um, Jack Davenport's character... Um, I think has uh, there's a phone call that is taken, and then you realise halfway through that scene that this scene is happening at exactly the same time as the previous scene that you've just yeah, seen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that the person on the phone you've just heard the other converse, the other part of that, yeah. and it made me just jump in the air with delight yeah. and joy, mm. um, and 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 then as I was sort of thinking back to coupling, how often actually 
the star of the show was often the plot. Mm. Um, because, you know, you used lots of, didn't like, like nine and a half mm. minutes as well, and all those mm. sorts of shows, and thinking, wow, that really set you up for Doctor Who and Sherlock. <laughs> but to what, you know, so to what extent, how were you approaching those sorts of shows where you thought, I have an idea at, for a show, and it's the format of this, or were you thinking, I've got an idea for a story, and, or you could do it from three different ways. What, what were your sort of starting points well, it's interesting. For that? I mean, it's probably my besetting sin that I'm uh, tremendously interested in uh, quirky narrative structures. Right. If people say mm-hmm. oh, negatively of a movie, oh, it's full of tricks and traps, and you never quite know what's going on, and half of it's a dream. I've already started watching the film by that point. You know, <laughs> I think, great. I've oh, ordered it. It's coming to yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Style over substance, you say. Bring it on. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I do actually, I love all that stuff. I mm. absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, mm. And, you know, I, I do think on coupling, I my sort of formal experiments with narrative, if I can make it, mm. something we left off the poster, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, could sometimes swamp it. Uh, yeah. And I did think that as it went on, I probably got better at making you slightly more emotionally engaged with the character. Mm. So I do always worry about that kind of thing. But I can't resist it. I can't resist any of that stuff. I love it. Yeah. We did an episode where half of it was in Hebrew. Um, yeah. Most of the studio <laughs> audience left, it has to be said. That was the most intimidating <laughs> night I've ever had. But again, it's holding your nerve, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. holding your nerve as a comedy writer. You just go, trust me, trust me, trust me. Just hold yeah. it back, hold it back, hold it back. Wait till you see the whites in their eyes. Okay, go. Yeah. yeah. Um, because people are so clever. That's the thing. The audience is so clever. There is mm. no possibility you're going to leave them behind. Yeah. There's a possibility you might occasionally get out a little bit in front. Yeah. But yeah. there is no possibility. They've already got three options of where this one's going to go. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there was a, there was a spell when I was doing Doctor Who. People say, well, it's far too complicated for other people. That's what people would say. Yeah. say you know, and you, people would come online and say, well, I didn't understand a thing of that. And say, well, eight-year-olds are doing fine, so I don't know why you're both scared. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, were you, you know, were we, you reading the human the paper beings at the same time? Really, yeah. really do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not something we have a problem with. We can deal with complexity very, very easily. Yeah. As, long as, the, <clears throat> as long as there's the payoff at the end. which Well, you have to know there's a point. Yeah. You have yeah. to know why. I mean, I was discussing odd enough flashbacks with uh, Russell T. Davis the other day and saying, flashbacks are great. We've had disagreements about flashbacks over the years. He's, I noticed suddenly started doing them and doing them brilliantly in the Jeremy Thorpe uh, three-parter that was mm, so right. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we were discussing... Flashbacks work if you know exactly that it is a flashback mm. and why this flashback is relevant now. Mm. Yeah. So you're absolutely secure. Where flashbacks, well, you're not quite sure if this is a flashback. Yeah. And you're not quite sure, well, but why am I being told this? I, I was fine where I was. Mm. That's horrible. That's mm. confusing. Not because you don't know what's going on, but you don't know why it's going on. Mm. You have to at least tell people a convincing reason as to why you have suddenly nipped back in time to this bit. You may have you may have lied about it, yeah. but so long as they, I feel absolutely secure in what I'm being told now and when this happened, yeah. is it, it, I think is deadly important. And we do I do find that when um, I don't know how many scripts you read um, that are not directly relevant to the mm. show that you're doing or whatever, but occasionally we we read people's scripts and you do think oh you've tried to write um um some kind of mystery thriller, mm. and actually that's going to fight the comedy because you've left so much 
you know, the audience is now worried. And one of my catchphrases is, confusion is the enemy of comedy. Oh, absolutely. An audience is. can't laugh if they're confused. And if you're just trying to confuse them, you're not trying to make them laugh. Well, that's fine. You know, yeah. that's, that's, you know, that's... But I think it's fine to confuse an audience so long as they know they're supposed to be yeah. confused. Yes. I mean, that's right. I, you're meant to be confused, but this is enigmatic. Yes. Which yeah. means, really, that Doctor Who turns to the camera and says, I don't understand this either. <laughs> uh, and they say, oh, that's all right. Doctor Who doesn't understand it. It's not my job. But, you know, yeah. so mystery is fine. Enigma is fine. But if you think, if you have this creeping sense, and I'm sure I've inflicted this mm. on many audiences, of, uh, was I supposed to get that? Was that, yeah. was that a yeah. thing I was meant? I don't, I don't know if I'm meant... Is it a mystery? Okay, we, nobody knew what the shadowy man was. Cool, I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I think is the enemy of comedy is uh, is ever splitting the joke at all, trying to, uh, and which is which is what you have to fight in sitcom rehearsals. Yeah. Is I'll make this even funnier by adding another joke at the same time. Yeah, and it never, I've never <laughs> found it works. No, yeah. two jokes. You do, you do a funny thing seriously, or you do a serious yeah. thing funnily, but you're never trying to do a funny thing funnily. Yeah, or yeah. he just dies, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. You don't know which bit is meant to be serious and which bit is meant to yeah. be Yeah, occasionally hilarious. you find yourself saying in a, in a tech run or something, just saying, well, that, that joke will only work if we've already given the audience copies of drafts two, three, and four. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> and yes. I, don't, I don't think we... I don't and they've attended at least two tech runs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. yeah. So, yeah, no, it's it, that, that, that yeah. joke creep, especially when people around just sort of saying oh this this scene doesn't feel funny it's like now you've forgotten it doesn't feel funny anymore yeah. i thought it was funny on monday yeah. but now it's wednesday yeah. i'm finding it predictable if well done yeah if you're still finding it funny now there's something wrong with you yeah. or your paul mayhew archer who just laughs at everything because yes. he's a wonderful human being who wants to encourage people um he's doing a show in edinburgh did you know yes, 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 yes. No, we, really oh great and yeah. we need to get him on this show to talk about it because yeah. he was like a bit of a mentor figure yeah, for he's me a brilliant and me yeah. yes yeah, yeah. of, of all all yeah. the people I thought would go into a, uh, a stand-up routine in in Edinburgh. He was the last. Yes, yes, yes. yes. No, most self-effacing yes. yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, so, I suppose my, my catchphrase is um, character and story. You know, you can't mm. have one without the other. Yeah. So, in a sense, uh, one of the, the things that I uh, that, that why your stories work in the way that when we get scripts where people have written very complicated things with a ton of backstory mm. um, is that we know we're, we're so clear on the character so you can take that character anywhere we know exactly who and and thinking again of coupling we know those we, we, we get who your two main characters are straight away and so then everything that happens around them still happens in relation to the character and I guess you you have that even more so with, with Sherlock. I'm just curious to know with Doctor Who, which is a sort of kind of evolving character. Are you uh, do do you find with the different ones that you're kind of inventing new character aspects? Uh, oddly enough, I've been. I mean, the different Doctors. Yeah. Um. No. Oddly enough, you don't. Uh, I was discussing this with Chris not long ago. Uh, is that um, the Doctor is very much the Doctor. I know we've had different Doctors and we make a great fuss every time we bring in a new Doctor Who. This is an all-new approach to Doctor Who. Secretly, it's not. Mm. Secretly, it's just somebody else playing it. Yeah. And we've got a brilliant solution yeah. to our, our fairly central uh, staffing problem. Yeah. Uh, but, in fact, each actor comes in and inflects it a different way. But the Doctor, the doctor is... Uh, intimidatingly unmoved by everything that ever happens to him, he pops back to her TARDIS and uh, yeah. and and rushes off, and she has another adventure. Yeah. Uh, and 
doesn't appear to remember any of the previous ones. That's why you need the other character. Yeah. Right. You need Bill Potts or yeah. Rose Tyler or Sarah yeah. Jane Smith to actually live through the adventure because yeah. the Doctor is kind one, of... One, of the, one of the things I was thinking for as a writer, and <clears throat> this is sort of a, a, an interesting, a nice thing to have, I suppose, mm. but it happens very rarely, but I think it's happened like with Friends as well, is that do you find as a writer that, you know, because the, the public are so invested in your show and that actually, you know, they have they have extremely strong opinions about it and there are millions of them. Is there a, does that ever kind of intrude on your process? Yes. I mean, it hasn't until relatively recently. I mean, I, I used to do really quite successful shows. Uh, but, you know, pe- people weren't stopping me in the street about coupling. Maybe a little... I mean, yeah. maybe once every six months someone yeah. would do that. Uh, a weird shows, person. Yes. Well, <laughs> weird person, a bit like me. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, uh, with Doctor Who already being, uh, 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 you know, what it, what it has always mm. been since 1963, and with Sherlock becoming very quick, what we thought would be our little art house project on the side becoming this rock star of yeah. the show mm-hmm. even more so people feel entitled to their version of that show and you are accused of arrogance because you say well no we're just going to do our version and you can go and do you, you, you're accused of arrogance for uh, thinking that they shouldn't write your show which I always think well, you, actually that's not arrogant that's my show yeah. you can go and do your show audience uh, expectation is everything though isn't it in terms of even just on a micro level I was trying to explain to someone, <laughs> I can't remember how I got into this position, trying to explain to someone sort of the, the third act of your sitcom episode is taking all of the expectations and you're, yeah. trying to, and you're trying to come up with an ending that is believable but also surprising and yet retrospectively inevitable. <laughs> exactly, just, that's exactly and, it. And so you're, yes. But you're also doing it on a macro scale now with all the expectation of how what the next what the next series of Sherlock's going to look like. <laughs> so you, so so now your act one is 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 sort of feeding into that audience expectation, which must prove an interestingly new challenge. Well, I mean, I'm I'm never quite sure whether, how seriously we should take any of that because most of the audience watch it, like it. And never think about it again. Uh, that's the, the the honest truth. There yeah. is an expression yeah. uh, often used about fridge logic, yeah. which is that you know you watch a show, you really enjoy it, you walk to the fridge and realize it didn't make sense. Yes, yeah. The only reaction any writer should have is they were still thinking about it when they got to the fridge. Wait, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it took you that long to work out the Doctor Who doesn't make sense, how far away is your fridge? Yeah. I mean, I mean, come yeah. on. It's, that's, yeah. that's a nonsensical thing. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the differences is if you keep the audience in the palm of your hand mm. uh, throughout the episode, as it were, because they're just watching it, then that, that payoff works. It can be more difficult if you have a mystery extending over weeks where people get together and, and talk about their solutions to the, mm. to the mystery you've set up. One of the dangers of it, unless you're as brilliant as Agatha Christie perhaps, but even for her if you extended it over time, mm. is that it's not that your solution will be disappointing. Your solution will be fine probably. Um, but one solution is nothing like as exciting as 400 uh, up until the point you nailed it down, there were yeah. 400 possible solutions, uh, uh, and some of them were great, some of them were 
dumb and some of them were hilarious and then suddenly boringly you had one you think mm-hmm. oh yeah well that's not that's not as much fun as thinking about it of course it's not as much fun as thinking about it of course mysteries are more mysterious than solutions yeah. that's that's not that's not something that should surprise anyone yeah. but i think with the glory of comedy um it's, I, I don't think you, a comedy punchline would work over six weeks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would you'd have too much time to think about it and anticipate it, perhaps. But the but the comedy punchline where things come together in a disastrous yet perfect way yeah. when you realise that the impulses of the main character, which have been delineated so carefully, have led to their own downfall in the most hilarious, just, poetic mm. way, and everything goes perfectly wrong which is almost what defines that kind of comedy. You know, in a drama, you say, well, nothing goes perfectly wrong. Things go nearly wrong or things go wronger than you expected. But for something like Faulty Towers, where everything goes perfectly wrong, Mm. you know you're in comedy land. You know you're in the, not so much what really happened to Basil Fawlty as what Basil Fawlty thought thought afterwards could have happened if he hadn't, he hadn't got it together a bit better. Mm. You know, I always think yeah. that's the nightmare of a stressed man. It's not not the real story of a stressed man. That gourmet night probably went well. That was the night, that was that nightmare he had afterwards or before. Do you know what I mean? Right, it's, yeah. it's perfectly yeah. wrong. Everything just collapses yeah. in a glorious tangle. Yeah, and exists almost in its own world. Yes, yes. Oh, as is so often the way, Sitcom Geeks never goes far away from Faulty Towers. And if you are very interested in Faulty Towers, you can hear us speaking to Al Murray about Faulty Towers, his favourite sitcom. If you join us on Patreon, you can Google Sitcom Geeks Patreon and you'll find us. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And also if you join us, you can hear Stephen Moffat's interview without having to wait a week to hear part two. So do have a think about that. Until then, speak to you next time. Bye bye.